0: Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Charles the First, with your hosts Graham Duke and Ali Hood.
1: Oh, hello. Welcome to Rex Statue, viewing all the kings and queens of England, from Alfred the Great to Elizabeth II. Now, um, we're doing Charles I this week, and Ali had a brilliant fact.
0: Well, yeah, he's the first, with no, the fourth first in mm. a row, but the first one of those was the first first since Edward I. Indeed, it's been so a huge period of...
1: Mary, Elizabeth, James and Charles, all the first firsts. We've had um, some other comments from uh, other people. First, a couple of corrections oh, from uh, James I. Oh, well, Kim Whitaker pointed out that when I am um, quoted where um, James referred to um, Jesus having his John and him having his George, his favourite, yeah. I suggested that was John the Baptist. She said it was probably actually John oh, the Apostle. the Apostle, yeah. It's too
0: old, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah.
1: laughs> so, good point. Well corrected. And then me. I thought I'd correct myself. Uh, we remember there was that scandal where there was the murder of the man Lord Overbury. Who was he? He was the guy who I said was married to this woman, Frances Howard, and one of James's favourites mm. wanted to marry her instead. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was imprisoned and then poisoned. Yeah. He wasn't actually the husband of Frances oh, Howard. Okay, right. He just opposed the marriage.
0: Right.
1: So her husband wasn't killed, but a guy who opposed the marriage was. Mm. Correction's over, but we've had another couple of comments. Okay. This is from uh, Chad Burns in Florida. Um, He found us via the History of England podcast done by David Crowther. So thanks to David, who's um, mentioned us in a few occasions. Yeah, cheers, David. Check him out um, if you haven't done already. I imagine many of you have. Um, But he says, I never knew so much about the Anglo-Saxon times. And you two are great, brilliant hosts, very funny, love the wit.
0: Well, cheers. However,
1: he thinks that we did a disservice to Henry VII. We
0: didn't give it to him. Did didn't we? give
1: it to him. Father of Henry VIII. Um, he said he thinks he deserves the Rex Factor. He's a rock star among nerds.
0: <laughs> who are the nerds?
1: I don't know. But you remember he was the guy who was, um, very good at the details and finance, and we said he was like a civil servant
0: or Yeah, he was the king of the nerds. He was the yeah. coolest nerd, but a nerd nonetheless. Yeah.
1: But it's nice that someone's fighting his corner. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And
1: uh, Dean O, instantly, um, says, I really think that James I should have gotten the Rex Factor purely because he did what no English monarch had done before, maintained a working peace between Scotland and England. Not even your beloved Edward I managed that.
0: <laughs> I'm not going to rise to it. All I'm saying is, <laughs> I'm picturing a man wandering the corridors, unintelligible Scottish, <laughs> scratching himself. Not a man for X-Factor. Talking
1: about James I, there, not Dean Hill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> will just yeah. point out, thanks for the comment, Dean. Uh, but on to Charles I. Born in 1600, he's the son of James I and Anne of Denmark, and he becomes king in 1625, so the start of the year, so he's about 24 years old. And he is the eighth, uh, eighth great-grand-uncle of... Of Elizabeth II. In terms of his appearance, um, he's a short man, probably about five foot four, and apparently found walking and talking quite difficult. He found he couldn't do it until he was about three years old.
0: But he was all right in later life?
1: Yeah, although he still struggled a little bit. He had a Scottish accent, a slightly falsetto voice, and a bit of a nervous stammer. He never quite entirely got over his speech difficulties. Right. And he was never that great at walking. And his upbringing, as we said, he was a very uh, sickly child, didn't seem likely he was going to survive into adulthood. As you said, couldn't walk or talk until at least three. Only came to England in gradual journeys once James I became king. Apparently, James, because of his walking and speaking problems, James considered having him put in um, leg irons to try and stiffen up his legs and having a uh, ligament on his tongue cut. Oh, crumbs. But the woman who was caring for him said, no, not doing it.
0: Yeah, sensible. Mm. Very sensible.
1: <clears throat> so, his early years as a young man, um, he was very influenced by George Villiers, Duke of Buckingham.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now if you recall, he was the one who was a big favourite of James, and they probably had a sexual
0: oh, yeah, relationship, yeah, yeah, yeah. or at
1: least in terms of uh, romantic letters. Initially, Charles rather disapproved of their relationship, but then he struck up a friendship with the Duke of Buckingham, which James had encouraged. So, you got the three of them all quite happy oh, and right. friendly. Last few years, getting on very well. Okay. Uh, James had been trying to get Parliament to agree to Prince Charles agree, uh, marrying the Spanish Infanta because he wanted a closer links with Spain. Yeah. Parliament was very against it, Spain were delaying, so Buckingham and Charles decided we've had enough. We're going to sort it out ourselves. So they storm off to Spain in disguise with false beards and uh, calling themselves Thomas and John Smith
0: (laughs) to try and uh, arrange the
1: marriage themselves. Didn't go very well, however. Um, Charles became infatuated with the Infanta, leapt over a wall um, to come and see her and press his affections, but apparently she didn't like it and ran away. Mm. Uh, The Duke of Buckingham was getting outmanoeuvred in the diplomacy with the Spanish, and then one of their courtiers slapped a priest.
0: <laughs> this is stuff of movies. There should be like a National Lampoon's <laughs> yeah, a trip to Spain when they just
1: do this. So, realising they've been duped, they came back and did a complete vault fast and called for war on Spain. So, hugely popular with Parliament. James, however, wasn't too impressed with the whole thing, berated Buckingham for being foolish, and said to Charles, You will live to have your belly full of Parliaments.
0: Which proved to be
1: rather pathetic. Was, yeah. um, Charles lost all of his parliamentary support very quickly by marrying Henrietta Maria of France, who was a Catholic. And then later in that year, James first dies, Charles becomes king. Okay. So, right at the start, influenced by Buckingham, Charles dives right into the Thirty Years' War in Europe. So, this is where we've got a lot of fighting around contesting who's got the rights to sort of kingdoms in Germany. Mm. So, we've got the Holy Roman Empire in Spain against some of the Protestant countries, France getting in there as well. Charles says, right, we're going to get in there and show them who's boss. Right. And who is boss are basically France and Spain, <laughs> not England. It's sort of like... do we the, show them
0: that, though, through our poor, poor we, we
1: demonstrated that very effectively. Good, it's a sort good. of, uh, Yeah, disastrous campaign at Ostend. Cadiz, an absolute disaster. They were initially in a sort of alliance with France, because he'd married Henrietta mm. Maria, but that turned into them um, declaring war, and then Buckingham led a disastrous campaign into La Rochelle. So, all across the board, English campaigns, total wiped They wipe ended out. up
0: invading France?
1: Trying to, but failing. Right. So, they failed against Spain and against France.
0: Good. Well, these guys are good.
1: Parliament aren't impressed. No. They are agitated by disastrous campaigns. Buckingham's leadership, in particular, refused to grant any further military subsidy. And um, in 1626 and 1628, uh, tried to impeach Buckingham, saying, look, he's giving you terrible advice, he's a rubbish commander, we want to get rid of him. And Charles said, I take on board what you're saying, and I'm going to dissolve Parliament. (laughs) So, Parliament no longer in session. Charles does grudgingly accept a petition of rights from Parliament, which sort of is a protest against some of the financial expedients he put in place to fund his campaigns. Mm. But more is being planned. But 1628, Duke of Buckingham is assassinated by a disaffected soldier called John Felton. Right, Charles so really is hurt. absolutely devastated. His closest friend, almost like a big brother to him, he really leaned on him, and he was also upset because in London there was quite a lot of rejoicing.
0: Oh, a bit harsh.
1: John Felton's sort of set up as a sort of hero. I mean, he was executed, obviously, <laughs> but uh, became some heroic figure. So Charles is not very happy about the way they've reacted to the death of his great friend. Mm. 1629 Parliament, um, so the main oppositional leader was a man called Sir John Eliot, who had been particularly strong in his opposition to Buckingham, and Charles partly blamed um, for raising some of the fanaticism which led to Buckingham's death.
0: What year was that? Sorry? This
1: is 1629 now. Okay. Right. Um, so Eliot and other people raised opposition to some of the repressive measures that Charles had been putting in place for finance and raising money. Charles, not very happy with it, and also some criticism of his religious stance. So Charles ordered the Speaker to dissolve Parliament. But what actually happened was that some of the other MPs held the Speaker down in his seat so that he couldn't stand up to dissolve Parliament. Huh. And while he was being held down, they passed various resolutions complaining about Charles's arbitrary rule. So the Speaker was sat down in tears trying to get up and do his job, Black Rod is banging on the door, trying to let in, and meanwhile these MPs are passing We're trying all these to get Charles in. Yeah, wow! Big moments of high drama. Um, Elliot is arrested afterwards, dies in the Tower in 1632. Parliament dissolved, and Charles decides he's just going to rule without Parliament.
0: That's quite. A, that's quite a statement, isn't it? That's so for
1: the next eleven years, we have the personal monarchy. He rules without calling any Parliament at all. Is it worth going over who Black Rod is and how King's not allowed in Parliament without... Yeah, King can only enter Parliament if he's sort of officially invited, yeah. ask, come in by. So like now
0: Parliament. we have this, when they open Parliament, they hammer on the door, yeah. Black Rod, this fella, and lets the Queen in. Indeed. So he was trying to do that Yeah. while they're all kicking off, taking over. Yeah. And so he did the
1: opposite when he got in. Hmm. <laughs> oh. So, Charles is now ruling by himself. First thing he does, he makes peace with France and Spain. Right, good plan, I'd say. Takes England out of the Thirty Years' War. He then has a few people who are sort of new key advisers in lieu of Buckingham. One of whom is the Earl of Stratford, uh, Thomas Wentworth. He is appointed Lord Deputy in Ireland... So he goes over to Ireland, where we have the Ulster plantation, where we've got English and Scottish Protestants, and we mm. kicked out the native Irish and Catholics. He sees basically anything beyond the Pale, i.e., Dublin, as pretty much barbarian and lawless, kind of like the Wild West. But that's just where the, that's the extent of
0: their power, isn't it? In yeah. Ireland, really?
1: So he treats it, Ireland, with rather firm authoritarianism, very ruthless rule, and extracts three large subsidies from Dublin.
0: Is that where we get the expression beyond the Pale? Yes. Ah, there you go. Mm.
1: Loud, or Lord, is the Archbishop of Canterbury. He has a hatred of Puritanism, which is becoming increasingly popular in England. Right. And he has a love of ceremony which ceremony which makes him appear sort of quasi Catholic. And his persecution of Puritan speakers rather upsets the religious balance. So remember that James had been quite careful to be tolerant Mm. of different stances and not push the boat out too much. This loud chap who Charles completely trusts implicitly is starting to say, look, if you don't agree with me, then frankly, you're out. Um, But Charles takes him very, very seriously to the extent that um, his court jester was dismissed for mocking the Archbishop of Canterbury.
0: I'd love the fact that they still had court jesters.
1: Well, not after this. That's the point at which... I'm <laughs> <thinking>. <laughs> really? Is yeah. that it? So it Charles over. is like, no more. None of this. Oh, OK. I'm laughing at serious things. That's a shame. So he's not very popular. Mm. And Henrietta Maria, his wife... Oh yeah, deeply unpopular. They have a difficult early relationship. She was only about fifteen, sixteen when they first um, married, yeah. and um, apparently she burst into tears when she first saw Charles. Oh no, just not very good stuff. And <laughs> no. um, they spend the earliest part because he was—he's an Anglican Protestant, she's a Catholic, and she's a very strong Catholic. She refused to attend the coronation because it was Protestant rites and all that sort of stuff. Right. But after Buckingham's death, they become much closer and fall in love which is nice, yep, have lots of children together, and she kind of becomes a chief advisor, and she's hugely unpopular in the country, because she's seen as whispering in his ear, bringing Catholics to court. Yeah. She's untrusted.
0: Okay, yeah.
1: So it's not a very popular time in many ways, and particularly because Charles uses various means of solving the royal debt that he'd taken over from his father. Mm-hmm. And he does this by reviving medieval taxes and laws, which have been laying dormant for centuries, and things like ship money, where taxes were required from counties to pay for the Navy. Except Charles extends it to the counties which
0: landlocked. are landlocked.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So they're having to really? pay for naval upkeep as well. He has a lot of success in raising money, but again, it's not very popular. And he's
0: doing this all on his own back. No all problem. on his own back,
1: he's sort of using the Privy Council, kind of like Elizabeth or Henry VIII would sort have of done. Mm. However, he has problems with Scotland.
0: So yeah, Daniel,
1: despite the fact that he is Scottish yeah he's not very popular there um, he doesn't visit until sixteen thirty three so that's eight years into his reign, and when he was there, he insisted on Church of England services, despite the fact that Scotland is pretty much Presbyterian, right, yeah, so he's already irking them mm. what's more, he increases the taxation dramatically, so there was more in his first two years than for the whole of James's reign pretty much Wow, really ups, that's quite a ups the tax remember Loud, his Archbishop of Canterbury. Mm-hmm. Together they decide that England, Scotland under one kingdom should have the same religious system. So they try to impose the Anglican prayer book on Scotland.
0: Haven't they learned anything?
1: They haven't because it is hugely unpopular. Huge rebellion takes place in Scotland under this sort of Presbyterian kirk and the National Covenant is formed. These sort of Scottish nobles who'd formed this rebellion against um, Charles and what he's trying to do. 1639. We have the first bishops' war. Charles raises an army, marches to Berwick. Neither side really wants to fight, so we have the pacification of Berwick, namely a temporary sort of peace. Uh, but,
0: but but this isn't this isn't the Scots and the English. Great. I mean, the, all the Scottish army are Scottish, presumably. Yeah. But the, the Act of Union has already passed, so it's more. Civil no, there war. has
1: been an Act of Union. If we recall, James had failed to get but a political union. We've got a union of the crowns because Charles is king of both kingdoms. So, oh,
0: we mentioned this, so it's like England and Canada going to war.
1: But they are separate kingdoms. Same king, but different political systems. Okay, yeah. And so they have a temporary peace, but Charles, he's out of money, he wants to raise another army to sort it all out, he has to call back Parliament. Ah, that'll teach him. So in 1640 we have what is called the Short Parliament. Charles uh, brings them together, says, look, I need money to invade Scotland... Instead, the Commons decide that they want to air basically 11 years' worth of grievances. <laughs> yeah, you Charles. would. <laughs> he?
0: yeah. Here's a list of things we <laughs> yeah. want to
1: talk about first. <laughs> yeah. And Charles can't be bothered with that, so he dissolves it after a few weeks without getting any money.
0: Yeah. OK, well, if you're going to bring all that up, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: don't even bother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the end, in 1640, we have the second Bishop's War. Um, Stratford comes back from Ireland to, over to England and yeah. says to Charles, look, we've got to do what we did in Ireland, just taking no nonsense from anyone, all-out war, pacify Scots. So, take an army up to Scotland, and the Scots rout the English at the Battle of New Bern. What more, they occupy Northumberland and County Durham. Wow. And uh, basically say, unless you sign, give us lots and lots of money, we're not going to leave.
0: Can I just need to get this a little bit more straight in my head. Yeah. Different political systems, same king. Yes. The Parliament of England doesn't want to go to war against Scotland because they see it as too expensive.
1: It's not so much that they don't want to, so much as not willing to give them, money. Give them any yeah. money for it.
0: But the, the King
1: yeah. of both countries <laughs> yes. wants the two countries beneath him to go to war. To well, war. I mean, essentially, he would say that the Scots are rebelling. So he would say that part of his kingdom is rebelling against him and he's going to enforce his rule.
0: Right, but he is the Scottish King. He
1: is the King of Scotland. <laughs>
0: And Scottish. I mean, Scottish kings have been king of Scotland. Oh, this is
1: ridiculous. Right. But basically what's happened is that Charles has tried to enforce his rule against the Kingdom of Scotland, Mm. which he is king of, and they have defeated him so much that they've actually invaded the north of England Mm. and said, we're not leaving until you pay us. Mm. So they have the Treaty of Ripon where Charles signs and says that he will have to pay them off to go home. And to raise the money, he has to bring back Parliament in England again.
0: But I mean, it's all in his kingdom, so it's a closed-loop economy there <laughs> it's well, in a sense, quick, yes. it's come back
1: it. It's all going round, <laughs> yeah. pretty much.
0: have as much as you like, you'll only pay it back in taxes.: So
1: in 1640, Charles brings parliament back again, and this time we have the long Parliament: in the name there. So called because actually it lasts until 1660 before it officially dissolves, or something like that.: Right. So, yeah, this yeah. is a pretty long and what session. This, 16... this is 1640s when right. it starts. The new man, sort of in charge, he's not a prime minister, but he's the main sort of leader of the opposition to Charles, uh, is a man called John Pym. And the MPs are pushing hard against, again, Charles's previous abuses in the personal monarchy. And they really want to preserve their own freedom so that Charles can't be just dissolving them willy-nilly. Yeah. And they also really opposed to his advisors such as the Archbishop of Canterbury-Loud and the Earl of Stratford. So, Charles has to make various concessions. Loud, the Archbishop, is impeached. Right. And imprisoned. Okay. Uh, the Triennial Act requires Parliament to be summoned at least once every three years. So we can't have 11 years without mm. him bothering again. The Self-Perpetuating Act went even further, so Parliament couldn't be dissolved without its own consent. And also mm. we have the abolition of the Star Chamber and the medieval taxes that were so unpopular. So he's... Mm. He's, okay. p- he's accepted various things. However, they also want to impeach his favourite, Stratford. And Charles knows that impeaching Stratford will not just mean that he gets a ticking off but generally let go. That's going to be treason execution.
0: Why is Stra- Why would he get treason
1: execution? Well, he's very unpopular what he's done in Ireland. And there's also, there's also a lot of mistrust about Charles and what he's doing with the army. And there's been rumours that Stratford has advised Charles... ...to use the army that he would have with Scotland... Mm. ...to actually sort out any problems in England as well. Okay. So they think we can't trust this guy with mm. an army... ...or else who turn it against us. Mm. So, they want to impeach him. Charles promises him that upon the word of a king... ...you shall not suffer in life, honour or fortune. Uh, but, as you say, Parliament feared... ...that he was negotiating for foreign troops... ...particularly those from Ireland. He was going to get some mercenary troops over... Mm. imposing his will on Parliament... Growing pressure from Parliament, some mob violence in London, which was directed partly at um, Charles's family when they were going through the streets, led him to a panic. He agreed to sign an attainder whereby you could have sort of treason without any kind of actual trial. And the Earl of Stratford was executed.
0: So yeah.
1: very, Again, very upsetting for Charles, really weighs on his conscience, but he's still got the problem of Scotland. But he changes his, uh, he changes his tack. 1641, he decides he wants to regain Scottish support and use it against the English. So, this
0: is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> until that, I this is the r- 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 most stupid situation. He's just got two pawns. Yeah. They'll actually have most control over him, but he's just, whenever he gets the opportunity, yes. making them fight each other.
1: Yes, yeah, so once one of them yeah. gets more. Um, Vocal his opposition He tries to be friends yeah. With the other one again yes. So he goes to Scotland Tries to regain their support Promises to establish Presbyterianism In England In <laughs> England <laughs> uh, But it backfires With a thing called The Incident right,
0: So, so yeah, there was a right. failed
1: plot um, Emerged Where some of the Scottish Presbyterian nobles Were going to be kidnapped And it's debatable Whether it's actually true or not But there were very strong Rumours at the time That Charles uh, Was involved In this plot Mm. Undermined obviously his reputation in Scotland, but also in England because it makes him look more duplicitous. Mm. However, the real bombshell which goes off in 1641 while he's in Scotland is a massive rebellion in Ireland. So, as you said, unpopular the Ulster plantation where the native Catholic Irish have been kicked out of Ulster.
0: Mm.
1: Stratford had ruled with a very strong hand, but even the old English who are in um, Ireland and the sort of Catholic persuasion aren't very happy. So we have what are called the Irish Confederate Wars, where there's a Catholic uprising leading to months of uh, violence. Reports come back to England of massacres of Protestants. Some say sort of 200,000 people killed. Stories of mothers and babies having their limbs ripped off and all sorts of it's things. It's
0: always babies having their limbs ripped off. I remember reading that about the First World War and the Germans.
1: Always incredibly graphic. Almost certainly exaggerated. Yeah. But more important is the fact that people in England believe it's happened to this extent to Protestants. And what's more, there are rumours that there's going to be an Irish invasion of England. Right. Some people even saying they're actually here. Now, it's all over. (laughs) Yeah. Probably it was just Irish Protestants that had fled. But nevertheless, there's a frenzy in London at the moment. Okay. Charles has a bit of a George W. Bush moment where he was playing golf on a lynx course in Scotland really? at the time, and he finished his round before he really... I'll watch
0: this drive.
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so, Irish rebellion, huge panic, Scotland negotiations have gone badly, Parliament does not trust him one inch. Charles wants to head up an army to deal with the Irish situation, but they basically say, we're not letting you have control of an army, because we don't know what you're going to do with it, and who you're actually going to use it against.
0: Oh, right, they weren't doubting his skills either, though, they were just d- doubting his loyalties.
1: Yeah, they didn't they trust him. Just get
0: them. some proper generals involved,
1: then this will yeah. come up. <laughs> well, so they say, we'll deal with Ireland, leave it to us, but we're not. you can't be head of an army. And Charles is saying no king has ever been told that he can't have control of his own army. Yeah. So Parliament draws up a thing called the Grand Remonstrance, where basically they have this bill listing these various grievances against Charles, really strong opposition to him now, but it's only passed by 11 MPs, a majority of 11
0: why would not most MPs...
1: Well, there's a sense that they've maybe gone a bit too far in their opposition, that they're really actually starting to impinge on royal privilege with things like the army and mm. foreign policy. And there's a sense that Pym is losing support and that Charles is gaining it.
0: Pym is the guy who's like a Prime Minister, but isn't.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so Charles may be winning some support. Unfortunately, he does something a little rash. Unlike him. There's a rumour that Parliament is planning to impeach his wife, Henrietta Maria.
0: Can you impeach anyone from any position? <laughs>
1: Pretty much. you impeach his wife for <laughs> yes. being his wife? Um, so Charles decides he's going to impeach Pym. Oh, God. And four of his chief supporters. So what he does is he enters Parliament in person, uncalled for, with troops, to arrest the MPs.
0: That is a bit far.
1: That is a bit far. Unfortunately, um, word of this has already got to them. so They run off. So when Charles comes in, enters Parliament, demands to know where they are, the Speaker says that the House has forbade him to reveal where the MPs are. So Charles says, no worry, I'll have a look myself. Looks around. And uh, he observes that his birds are all flown. And <laughs> withdraws.
0: <laughs> this Firstly, this poor Speaker. He's getting <laughs> bullied left, right and centre. And secondly, he just says, it's all right, I'll have a look. <laughs> Turns out my
1: birds have flown, Tudorlu, <laughs> and walks off with his troops. This yeah.
0: guy is amazing.
1: So, um, this doesn't go down very well. It's a recognition that he's really overstepped the mark, yeah. and that the situation in London is a little tense. Mm. So he leaves London, and negotiations take place. They try to come to some kind of settlement. 1642 in Nottingham, Charles raises the royal banner, and the civil war has begun. However, we do need to sort out the terminology of the Civil War. Mm. Parliament is how we would generally say we've got the Royalists and the Parliamentarians. However, probably about two-fifths of the Commons actually end up supporting Charles in the Civil War.
0: Right.
1: So it's not quite as simple as everyone in Parliament is against Charles.
0: Mm. Mm. More
1: are against him than not, but it's... So, Cavaliers and Roundheads is actually
0: more, a better way of... That's that helpful. So, it.
1: the Parliamentarians, as it were, are the Roundheads, yeah. and the Cavaliers are the Royalists.
0: Okay. So, that, that's easier we'll terminology. Yeah.
1: The Civil War, as a term, it was originally just called the Civil War. Then we've got the English Civil War. Yeah. Stroke okay. the War of Three Kingdoms. Because there are conflicts going on in England, Scotland and Ireland. They overlap... But they have different time periods and very different um, sort of patterns of what actually happens. Right. Today we are basically just talking about the English Civil War. Yeah. We'll probably look at the other two a bit more next time under yeah. Cromwell. So, War of Three Kingdoms, parliamentarians, straight roundheads, the Cavaliers, the Royalists, whatever's happening, it's happening. Okay, it's off. It's war. have started. So the Royalists are led by Charles primarily, but in the field, um, his sort of chief. Uh, leader was his nephew, Prince Rupert.
0: Oh yeah, I heard of him.
1: So he's a dashing student of uh, military strategy, so he pretty much knows what he's doing. That's more like it. Good cavalryman. Parliamentarians, the uh, roundheads, are initially led in battle by um, some of the earls, like the Earl of Manchester, Mm. the Earl of Essex, but later on we have um, Oliver Cromwell, Sir Thomas Fairfax, Mm. who take over. Initially it's led by slightly more moderate men. So Cromwell's an MP at this point? Cromwell is, Fairfax isn't. Right. So... Initially, it starts very well for Charles. We have uh, royalist victories at the Battle of Edge Hill and also uh, Bristol, which Rupert captures, but Charles ignores Rupert's advice to march on London, because obviously parliamentarians have got control of London. Charles vacillates, doesn't go along with it, and they miss probably the best chance in the whole war for the royalists to win.
0: Why? Because London was underprepared.
1: Yeah, the, the road was open, so it wasn't been easy, but it was their best chance to actually get back to the capital and pretty mm-hmm. much deal with it there and then. OK. Um, however, they do come to something of a stalemate. For Charles, the Royalists, they have victories at the battles of Cropperty Bridge and Lost Withiel in 1644, but um, the Roundheads, the Parliamentarians, are victorious at Master Moor, and the advantage the Royalists have at the start in terms of superior generals, superior cavalry, and equipment is gradually being worn down. They're right. losing their advantage yeah. as long as time goes on. However, it's difficult as well for the Roundheads. They've got a divided leadership. John Pym dies. Mm. So they've lost that guy in Parliament. And what's more, while Manchester and other Presbyterian ills are kind of favouring peace and coming to some kind of arrangement, because as they say, if we beat the king 99 times, he would be king still and we subject still. But if he beat us but once, we should be hanged. A good point. Good point. So they're a bit cautious and thinking, well, you know what, maybe we shouldn't do this too hard and we should think about coming to terms. Meanwhile, Oliver Cromwell, who is emerging as something of a military genius, mm. um, he and also his friend, uh, Sir Fairfax, they want war. They want to really bring Charles to heel and they want to reform the army and who is controlling the army. Yeah. So we've got deep divisions. Well,
0: I mean, this is some up. In this podcast, but the army does need reform. Who is controlling the army? It's ridiculous.
1: Well, the army does get reformed. First of all, Charles wins the support of the Irish Catholics, the sort of Catholic Confederates. How? Well, again, he sort of promises that, yes, Catholicism, it's on the way back. That seems <laughs> fair enough to me. such a slimy devil. But it ruins him in terms of his um, reputation in England because there has been such a scaremongering about Ireland and the rebellion. yeah. The, in sixteen forty one everyone says, well, obviously he was in league with the Irish all along.
0: Yeah. He couldn't trust him if through.
1: Meanwhile Parliament's come to a deal with the Scots. And this means that the Scots then obviously start to invade the north and basically take over the north of England. Exactly. So, so
0: he's he's so the roundheads are are letting the Scots do all the work in the north and they can yep. concentrate in the South.
1: Exactly. Come on. What's more, the army does get reformed. Mm-hmm. Cromwell pushes through in Parliament a thing called the self-denying ordinance, which basically means that um, people who are in the House of Commons or the House of Lords can't be in, have an army officer position, i.e. he gets rid of like the Earl of Manchester, the Earl of Essex, etc. They can't be commanders. So the Parliament's still passing laws just without royal assent, and they're yeah. taking that as read? Yes, yeah. because yeah. technically they haven't been dissolved. Yeah, So they're <laughs> yeah. still there. Okay. So now he creates a new professional army, where they have proper pay, training, all this Mm. sort of thing, and it's led by Sir Thomas Fairfax. And this is the new model army. Yes. And these reforms make quite a big difference, and it becomes a really strong, lean fighting machine. Sure enough, decisive victory at the Battle of Naseby in 1645. They go on to capture Bristol. Mm-hmm. And Charles escapes from the besieged headquarters he has in Oxford, again disguises himself with a false beard.
0: These beards, they must be realistic.
1: Before surrendering to the Scots at Newark in 1646. And thus, the English Civil War is over. So there's now a bit of an issue where they've got to work out what they're actually going to do with Charles. Kill him. Well, at this stage, no one is considering killing him. Oh, definitely kill him. He's the king. You can't kill the king. He's (laughs) anointed by God. Um, so he's spending his time reading, playing bowls, trying to play his, <laughs> pl- playing his enemies off against each other, yeah, as he yeah, likes yeah. to do. Um, technically, the long parliament's still in session, but loads of the MPs that were there originally are no longer there, and Charles is technically still king. Mm. So they're not quite sure what to do. Eventually, Cromwell just takes decisive action. He's come, been given over by the Scots, and Cromwell brings him into parliament's custody. So they're negotiations between Charles and Parliament. Uh, via Cromwell and Fairfax. They want a written constitution where Charles's power is officially there and restricted. Um, they propose relative freedoms for different religions. Charles agrees to it, but it's rejected by Parliament. Well, and in particular, the religious element is important. We focus probably more on the personal political, mm. but the new model army has to be, well, Protestant and Puritan. They're,
0: they're Puritans. Yeah, they're oh, very strong, they?
1: strong Puritans. So the religious element is very important to the new model army. And they put increasing pressure on Parliament, who are more moderate and wanting Mm. to come to in court. But the army are very opposed to Charles. Right. Charles hears a plot to assassinate him in 1648, so he flees from Hampton Court to the Isle of Man. He doesn't go off to France. Instead, he starts negotiating with Scotland again.
0: Oh, this guy.
1: Promises to um, introduce Presbyterianism Mm -hmm. in England if they come to his aid, and they do. So we have the second English Civil War in 1648. Scotland invades Kent and Essex are a little bit nervy as well. So conflict breaks up again. Right. However, new model army defeats Scotland at Preston, puts down the other rebellions, and they decide enough is enough. They purge Parliament of all the people who are moderates and kind of pro-Charles, and reduce it to a very small number of what is called the Rump Parliament.
0: Yeah, that's a bit extreme. I.e. Well. just yeah. their people yeah.
1: who want Charles out. And they are determined to try Charles by a newly created High Court of Justice. So 1649, Charles is put on trial. This is unprecedented. We've had before where we had Richard II and Edward II, who were both sort of forced to kind of abdicate. But they weren't put on trial and they were effectively sort of poked up the bottom in in private, Mm. as it were. Not here. Charles, in public, is on trial. Yeah. Charles argues that he can't be tried because he's king.
0: It's a good position. That's what I'd say.
1: He can't be guilty of treason because treason is a crime against the king. Yeah. And he's the king.
0: Yeah, Is he, <laughs> is he a lawyer? Oh, he's a, he's a very astute.
1: <laughs> he does rise to the occasion. He really puts on a tour de force. Um, he's tried as Charles Stewart, however. Right. Um, he's blamed for all the ills of the Civil War. Um, He refuses to plead, which means that technically they can't have any witnesses or anything because he's not put in a plea, but they do anyway. Mm. There's clearly not going to be a lot of um, legal um, sensitivity here. Verdict is assured, and he's found guilty Mm. and sentenced to death.
0: And that's 1649.
1: 30th of January, 1649. Gets up at about 5 o'clock. Very cold, obviously. Mm. Wears a double shirt so that he wouldn't look like he would tremble and being scared had difficulty finding someone who was actually willing to do the deed, finding an executioner. Eventually they do. And then the afternoon, after a short and dignified speech, at the age of 48, Charles was beheaded in public.
0: Don't mean to demean that sentence, because that is quite a sentence. Yes. Um, who did they find to do it?
1: Well, I don't... It's never actually technically known. Anonymity you, was assured.
0: But when they say find someone to do it, they're finding... Axman
1: to do this? Yes, like, not to do this. Hands up. <laughs> Who's going to do it? As Someone. And a witness said apparently, the crowd gave such a groan as I've never heard before and a desire I may never hear again. So, that is the end of Charles I. And indeed, it's the end of the monarchy.
0: Yeah. Are we going to do Oliver? I think we should.
1: I think we will, but before we do that, we should probably finish doing Charles. Okay. Battliness! Well... We might think that this is going to be a complete, unremitting disaster, but he has some positives. Does he? First of all, the Sovereign of the Seas. That's a good title. Charles had spent lots of money in the Navy. Of course, he had the ship money, so Mm. he's getting all the inland counties to pay for his (laughs) Navy. Um, And he built one of the world's largest ships, the Sovereign of the Seas. Apparently it was twice as large as a normal warship. Um, It had three decks. Mm. Uh, It cost about £40,000, which would usually be enough to build six warships. Right. Um, And then a further £25,000 for the guns. So it's expensive stuff. And it's named after Edgar the Peaceable. Really? Our old friend. Because, as we remember, he had all those ships going all around. So he was said to have effectively ruled the seas, being sovereign of the seas. So Charles is referencing back to him to say, look at the glory of Britain in its naval tradition. We've always been rulers of the sea. And thus we are again.
0: God, even Charles is against us on that Edgar the Peaceable.
1: Yeah, And he personally designed the symbols for the cannons. Um, And he does have some success in the Civil War Before the complete abject defeat Battle of Edgehill, 1642 It was the first pitched battle of the war Forces kind of accidentally came upon each other But then Rupert's cavalry sort of swept uh, The parliamentarians' cavalry out of the way Then the infantry held firm A bit of a standoff But Charles stares off his rival The Earl of Essex And Essex retreats Leaving the road open to London So Charles, you know, he held his ground so he just claimed a it. sort of moral victory. Right. It wasn't a literally standing <laughs> look at each other and eventually one of them turned. He's one,
0: we're off. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: But, you know, he stands his ground, does well. Battle of Cropperty Bridge in 1644. Uh, the Royalist forces under Charles had been strung out because he was sort of making his way across, mm. trying to deal with the parliamentarian leader, William Waller. Um, so his vanguard, which had become separated and was trying to take control of this bridge, Cropperty Bridge, came under assault by the Roundheads. Charles heard about this, turned his army around, sent them back, pushed the Roundheads back over the bridge, took control of it, and captured eleven of their guns, seriously damaging Waller's forces and pretty much neutralizing him for the time being, meaning that he was able to go off and deal with uh, the Earl of Essex instead. Mm. So he goes off to deal with the Earl of Essex. Right. Again, 1644, the Battle of Lostwithiel. Charles, marching west towards Cornwall in pursuit of the Earl of Essex, outnumbers him out-positions him, and Essex, realising he's completely lost the position, escapes by boat and left his 6,000 men, all of his guns and artillery train for Charles to capture.
0: When you say Charles...
1: He was at the head of this army. He was, the head he of was definitely army, yeah. the head of this he army. He personally can be credited for property and Los Witheal. I think Edgshill is more Rupert.
0: OK, right. You know, he has right. some success. I'm and, the one
1: reluctant to give it to him, but yeah. And he has personal bravery. I think, personally, when I'd come into this, I presume that Charles was this sort of... Figurehead. ...lofty figurehead who yeah. had no idea what was going on and was probably in a big house somewhere while all this fighting yeah. was going on. Yeah. But no, he actually... James I had advised him. Remember, he was the Rex Pacifus mm. who didn't yeah, want anything to... Or yeah. well, he advised Charles to wear light armour if he ever came to battle so that he could run away quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Very much like Jermay James. But Charles... He's there, he moves among his troops, he's in battle, he's you know, exposing himself to danger. He is personally brave, he is not concerned for his own safety. And well, he's we bad
0: enough at walking. I'm that is very brave. <laughs> I'll
1: you, yes. And he is, in a way, Rex Bellicose. He spends over half his reign at war. Mm. Admittedly, some of it with his own subjects, but nevertheless, Yeah. he is battling.
0: Mm. But. Big but.
1: And it's a big but. First of all, we had the Thirty Years' War, right at the start of the reign, 1625-29. to 29.
0: I'd say that was a great success.
1: Would you? Yeah. As as you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, he we said we set out to prove it was boss, and I think we did that. <laughs> we did indeed. Um, so, as he said, we have the 30 years rule. Um, so, his brother in law, Frederick, was contesting to be sort of king of Bohemia and sort of Germany. France was under the rule of Louis XIII and the chief minister, Cardinal Richelieu. Very canny chap. And Spain was still a great power under Philip III, who was financing the Catholic armies of the Holy Roman Empire. So, that's the, sort of, the context. First of all, in 1625, the Duke of Buckingham planned a grand naval assault on Spain, um, where he was going to capture the treasure from the ships coming back from America, break the supply chain um, into Europe, and then capture Cadiz. What he actually did was he captured a fort outside of Cadiz, while Cadiz itself got nicely set up in case he tried to invade them instead. This is just a mistake. I think he did, in fact, get the wrong... (laughs) the wrong bit (laughs) Uh, failed to capture any of the Spanish ships because he hadn't given strong enough orders to his men so they all just came back with their gold untroubled and um, his men were undersupplied set out without enough drink the men were allowed to drink from local houses and instead what they basically did was just found lots of beer and wine
0: Mm,
1: and literally they did they got hammered completely drunk and were forced to withdraw back onto the ships drunk without firing any shots at all Wow. <laughs> Laughing stock.
0: <laughs> this guy is hopeless.
1: 1627, the siege of saint main uh, Buckingham's diplomacy with France has fallen through to the extent that they then end up at war. So, he lands with an invasion force of about 6,000 to the Isle of Ré, hoping to sort of capture La Rochelle, but, surprisingly enough, it's a disaster. Cannons are too small, disease is rife. The siege engineer drowns when they first mm-hmm. land, so no one really knows what they should be doing to the siege. Brilliant. this place and in the final assault the ladders are too small
0: oh uh, we've had this before we've so, had man, this before brilliant
1: <laughs> he ends up leaving after being reinforced losing about 5,000 out of 7,000 men
0: crikey Moses
1: so Sir John Elliot the parliamentarian mm. leader at the time said our honour is ruined our ships are sunk our men perish not by the sword not by an enemy but by those we trust
0: we were hopeless
1: England is a laughing stock of Europe hence why Parliament keeps trying to impeach Buckingham because yeah. it's like
0: this guy a- has no yeah, idea he's got no idea
1: um, England forced to pull out of the 30 years War, huge damage to England's reputation
0: mm. Mm. totally yeah
1: pre the civil war of course he had that conflict in Scotland which he'd been completely defeated to the point at which Scotland are in Northumberland and Durham mm. saying look we're not leaving until you pay us mm. that's not very good oh. And then the Civil War, uh, we had at the start, Battle of Edgehill. He ignores the advice of Rupert to march on London. Essex leaves the road open. Eventually, he moves down and is turned around at Turnham Green. But it was a chance to win. But strategically, Charles didn't really know what he was doing. He was brave, but he didn't have the ability to take strong strategic leadership. And they missed their chance. And ultimately, of course, they lose the Civil War. And he doesn't just lose... The monarchy itself is abolished. That's a that pretty big defeat I mean, in Dasenus terms.
0: Yeah, but not. I mean, that's that's the defeat of all actor. Everything that's yeah. gone before, he yeah. loses. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, even the battles that were that you <laughs> <laughs> lay, named, he didn't see through. That was with, um, a negative. Was the Edge Hill because he didn't follow it up. Yeah. I just wish we could award negative figures. <laughs>
1: Are you going to give a zero? I'm
0: giving a zero. I can't believe
1: losing the Civil War, <laughs> we could give him anything but. I suppose you are right. I suppose the, the positives that he has are so minor and so, so minor. overweighed by the yeah. negatives. I mean, I'd
0: be looking at a one if he hadn't have lost the Civil War with that little bit of battliness that you mm. talked about. But he did even lose that. He's got a, I mean, big fat zero. Then
1: you're probably right. So that is a zero for battliness. Scandal. Despite everything, I'm going to argue that Charles doesn't really have any scandal. The Duke of Buckingham, unlike James, there's nothing sexual about the relationship. Yeah. Um, it's disastrous in political and military terms, but that's not scandal no, as no, such. No, no, Henrietta Maria, she's hugely unpopular and it's damaging politically, but he's entirely faithful to her. They have mm. a loving relationship. mm He's the opposite of his father in terms of personal manners, i.e. he had some. <laughs> Demonstrates no sense of humour whatsoever. Yeah. None of that coarseness. He's unpopular, he's disastrous, there's bad subjectivity, there's bad battliness. But does any of this really, is it scandal? The only scandal I can think of
0: is storming into
1: Parliament. That is quite scandalous. But no. then do we give him a scandal score or do we say that's sort of bad parliamentary... Subjectivity. Subjectivity. I mean, uh, we but it seems bizarre that he can get a, bad, a zero score for scandal. You think there must be something in yes, it. Yes, Charles
0: I. Um, I mean, maybe having his head cut off was quite scandalous. That yes, but that wasn't his fault. Was it?
1: Well, I mean, he didn't cut it off himself, and he didn't agree to it being cut off. He didn't agree to it. If anyone's going to get a scandal score for that, it's going to be Cromwell.
0: Yeah, OK, yeah, we got it. We can award that to him. Mm. I'm going to give him one for stalling into Parliament, because as far as I'm aware... Mm. That hasn't happened since. No, I mean that
1: is a massive thing against Parliamentary. And that all
0: sort of kicks off the civil war.
1: Yeah. Two. I'm going two. two. Yeah. I think all of the things which we would mark him down for a scandal are really subjectivity. And that he doesn't really have any personal, juicy, salacious scandal. So I'm gonna give him a zero for scandal. Okay. So that's a two in total for scandal. Subjectivity well, we might be expecting a big fat zero here, but actually there is a lot of positives in subjectivity. Okay. Very uh, dubious dubiously. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. His personality has some positive points. He is merciful, so he's not a bloodthirsty man. Um, at the Battle of Lost Withiel, we remember the Earl of Essex abandoned his 6,000 men to Charles. Mm. Charles lets them... He, they have to put down their arms, but he lets them march away. He's not going to kill them or take them prisoner. Ooh. So he lets them all off. Okay. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Bad for badliness, but bad, bad. badliness, Yes, <laughs> he also brings in court etiquette. We remember that James had all been very uncouth, mm. very coarse. Charles restores order and civility. Much more uh, controlled, strict rules of contact and of practice. So Venetian ambassador observes, the nobles do not enter his apartments of confusion as heretofore, but each rank has its appointed place. He will set apart a day for public audience, and he does not wish anyone to be introduced to him unless sent for. So everything's much more structured and efficient and ordered. Lucy Hutchinson, who was a Puritan um, at the time, thus not um, in favour of Charles, but she admitted King Charles was temperate, chaste and serious, so that the fools and boards, mimics and catamities of the former court grew out of fashion. It was less offensive than the bawdry and profane abusive wit, which is the only exercise of the other court. I under James. Oh,
0: okay. So everything's
1: much more, yeah. you know, right and proper. Under Charles,
0: it sounds more fun under James
1: And he is a cultural connoisseur mm. Perhaps the most culturally connoisseur really <laughs> type monarch that England has in its history Widely recognised as such Vast collection of artworks Some of the great paintings of the age He had works by Raphael oh. uh, Rubens came over and painted a ceiling of Banqueting House in Whitehall in memory of James I Is that still there? It is still there, yeah. I believe. And Rubens thought Charles himself was one of the most knowledgeable people he'd met in terms of art uh, right. in Europe. Um, Anthony van Dyck was commissioned to do portraits of Charles and the royal family. So we have these magnificent, beautiful portraits which give Charles this sort of... That's what I'm thinking air. of, for the little pointy little beard. Little pointy beard, one of him on his horse. And his personal monarchy, he does some good stuff. He works hard to make it work and he does manage a decade without Parliament.
0: Mm.
1: It's quite impressive. Peace treaties with France and Spain takes England out of the Thirty Years' War, which is pretty devastating for continental Europe. And in finance, 1629, the royal debt was about two million, but in the mid-1630s, he'd reduce this to about one million. Because
0: of all the land...
1: Yeah, so he'd increased royal revenues, but lived more within his means, unlike James. Yeah. And we should also credit him for his death. What? He dies well.
0: Oh, he does. He does. He yeah, dies yeah, very yeah, well.
1: Yeah. His chief concern in his final years is the succession of his son, who will be Charles II. Mm. He's all on his own. Henri met, Henrietta Maria left for France in 1644. His eldest sons, Charles and James, are also abroad. He doesn't, Charles I doesn't care about his own fate. All he cares about is the succession of his son.
0: Where is his son in the... In all He's in France.
1: So when things are getting bad, he dispatches his most able minister, Sir Edward Hyde, to accompany his son, um, give him advice, and if necessary, accompany him into exile. So his best man, he sent off to be with his son. And in 1646, he says to the Privy Council, I conjure you by your unspotted faithfulness, by all that you love, by all that is good, that no threatenings, no apprehensions of danger to my person make you stir one jot from any foundation in relation to that authority which the Prince of Wales is born to. In other words, he's saying, whatever they do to me, your first priority is to make sure that my son Mm. is all right and becomes king. Well, okay. He writes a letter, a lengthy letter to him the day before his execution and giving him advice on kingship, urging him never to rely on one man's counsel.
0: I'll never take any advice from me. Yeah. I think (laughs) it would be the first time. But he'd learn some of the lessons.
1: And, of course, his actual execution of the trial, he conducts himself with great dignity. He claims that he's standing for the liberties, the laws and the religion of his people. He wants to die well, so we have the double shirt, so he doesn't look frightened. A dignified speech, forgiving his enemy, saying that he dies in the Church of England. And for most people, because he'd been so detached, this is the... Defining, if not only, image yeah. that they have of Charles, and it's a very good one. So it leads to the cult of him as a martyr king. He becomes the only saint of the Church of England. Really, mm.
0: Saint Charles. Yes,
1: never heard of that. And he hugely adds to the esteem of the monarchy in a way that he'd never done actually for the rest of his reign. But in his death, he gives it such prestige and honour that yeah. that keeps the flame flickering for Charles II. Yeah.
0: Well, it was his, uh, his last chance, wasn't it? I'm just glad he could but he takes about. it. But he yeah. takes
1: it. However, there are one or two less positive elements. Mm-hmm. His personality. He mm-hmm. was very detached. His court protocol was basically designed to keep him away from people. So he could only speak to him by appointment. And even then, he hated discussion and he'd often reply curtly or just silent.
0: Not a small talk then.
1: Not small talk then. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm liking him then.
1: And as you said, he was controlled to the point of being pretty dull. Like you said, no court jesters, no fun, probably never drunk in the whole of his life. Mm. He's not actually a very lively, fun chap. And as we've touched upon once or twice, he's a little bit duplicitous. A little bit? Frequently breaks his word, considered that as a king he was basically above being held to his word.
0: (laughs) Right. So he didn't
1: see a problem with it. Everybody else does, so he makes contradictory promises to Scottish Presbyterians, Irish Catholics, English Anglicans and Puritans. The lack of trust is a key factor in the Civil War happening. Yeah, And in the way that this. it ultimately is resolved. Because before the, the Second Civil War, no, what, the majority of people do not want him to be executed or for there to be a republic. Mm. That's a minority view, but his sort of duplicitousness arguably pushes.
0: Yeah, totally. At like, point where that can happen. Yeah, if you can't trust what he's saying, you're never mm. going to follow him.
1: And he was completely inflexible because he's sort of so. He was quite shy and insecure, in, and he was basically overreacted to criticism. To the point where he would just take the opposite stand, and just wouldn't move from it, would not compromise. So it was impossible to really deal with him because he was couldn't be trusted anyway.
0: Yeah, no, it's nasty to work like that.
1: William Loud, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said, he was a mild and gracious prince who knew not how to be or to be made great. His wife, Henrietta Maria, very unpopular, didn't do a lot of good for him in terms of how it went with Parliament. She was right unpopular at the start for being French and Catholic. Mm. At the coronation, as you said, she refused to attend because it was a Protestant church and Protestant rites. She got so upset, she apparently smashed window panes with her bare fists.
0: Really? Saying, I'm not going. (laughs) She's
1: a strong uh, strong and lively character. She comes to be Charles' sort of main advisor, but she's got little understanding or sympathy with English people or politics. And she was one of the people who really urged him to arrest the five MPs, which was obviously ultimately so disastrous. Um, she brings a lot of the sort of Catholic art and court um, at the grandeur of Rome she tries to bring it to England and she also has Catholic priests the monks and friars in her entourage so these people haven't been seen in England for you know, 50, 60 years it's quite an anathema and there's a the sense that she's bringing Catholicism back yeah, unpopular whispering in yeah. Charles's ear indeed uh, Milton, poet, said that Charles was governed and overswayed at home under a feminine usurpation most men suspect she had quite perverted him so she's not popular? No. The personal monarchy was not popular. Yeah, the 11 years. 11 years. Yeah. Effectively, it's a kind of tyranny. There's no parliament and it's pretty repressive in a lot yeah. of ways. Medieval taxes. We've got the laws of the forests brought back, and indeed, forests are officially enlarged so that you can have bigger fines. Uh, knighthoods. Anyone owning land of £40 or more a year. In medieval land, I think Edward III, they were meant to apply for knighthood. This hadn't been an issue for ages and ages. Well, so you had to be a,
0: a sir to,
1: you had to... If you had like land, £40 a year or more, you had to apply to be a knight. Right. This yeah. is an old law, but it's still there. So Charles just brings it back and fines lots of people because they didn't apply to be a knight when he became king.
0: <laughs> so
1: that's not very popular. Ship money, as you said, required from 1635, even from inland countries, uh, counties. Many people at the time living in poor conditions, bad harvest, high grain prices, put under lots of pressure by Charles. So he gets a lot of money out of it, but, you know, mm. it's not great subjectivity. Mm. Religion, loud. The Archbishop of Canterbury upset the balance with his high church sympathies. People thought that he was a bit of a Catholic. Even though Charles is an Anglican, he looks like he's conspiring with Catholics. And it's not popular. He like
0: he's conspiring with them all.
1: Oh. Yeah. And of course, his parliamentary relationship is not particularly strong. Yeah. Early on sixteen twenty six refused to let Parliament impeach Buckingham um, and instead dissolved them, and even though, as you've established, Buckingham really hadn't been doing a particularly good job no sixteen twenty six Charles said to them, remember that Parliament's are altogether in my power for their calling, setting and dissolution, therefore, as I find the fruits of them good or evil, they are to continue or not to be. So that's his sort of mm-hmm. attitude, and it proves not to be a particularly positive one. Oh, he's his relations
0: just. You, can't, you No sense of compromise in this, but. No at sense all. of
1: compromise, can't be pragmatic, always seeking to get his own way with and his. And can't be trusted, his trust honesty, trust. yes. Yeah. So the conflict escalates in a mm. way that maybe it didn't need to under someone mm. like James, probably would never have got to that stage, no. even though he has arguments. Yeah. He can resolve them. And of course, the attempt to arrest the five MPs, he was even, he was even starting to win back support after this stage, because they'd only got unlimited support for that grand remonstrance against him. So he was starting to get support. That his failed attempt to storm into Parliament... going yeah, to that's the biggest error. ...was unmitigated disaster. It could only have been justified if it had been hugely successful, if it had been complete success. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just reckless. Yeah. And it didn't work, and it led to civil war. Mm. And, of course, we have the civil war. Now, some lots of people have argued, was it Charles' fault that there was a civil war, or was it factors beyond his control sort of socio-economic things which were building towards this point much more now there's a focus on personalities and things at the time rather than these longer term factors yeah so he couldn't work with Parliament couldn't compromise duplicitous dealings with Scotland with Ireland the ongoing tensions the unpopular advisors he's got to take a pretty hefty share of the blame
0: I think he's got to take all the blame personally
1: to be fair Parliament as well people like um, Elliot previously and then Pym they are also pretty hardline mm-hmm so you can argue that they're sometimes pushing it a bit too far. Yeah, but It does take imagine, two to tango.
0: Yeah, and you can't imagine his father getting anywhere near this.
1: No. So we're going to give him a bit of a blame for it starting. Yeah. And it's hugely divisive. Families torn apart with divided loyalties. Many people who'd opposed Charles in Parliament felt they had to support him in the war because he was king. He was king. It's your duty, mm-hmm. ultimately, when the chips are down, to support the king. So it divides families all across the country. Mm. Really damaging for people in social tensions, of course, religious tensions as well. Many areas try to be neutral, and from 1645 we have the Clubmen movement where there's this sort of opposition to soldiers of any kind. The real sort of anti war yeah. movement, people were just sick of it. Soldiers marauding all across the country, of course, has inevitable consequences. Huge cost localities when the soldiers demand lodgings and free quarters, thought to have cost probably up to £120,000 or something for the country to actually just house soldiers all oh, over right. the place. And, of course, there's lots of plunder and damage that they do, which doesn't get recorded. Mm-hmm. Very damaging for localities, putting up with it. In taxation, it probably all costs about £100,000 or something like that, so it's a lot of money that actually costs. And it's a national conflict. About a quarter of men in the country serve in the civil war. And at any one time between 1643 to 1645, about one in ten men were in action in war. Yeah. So it's a huge national conflict. Also, of course, a huge pressure on women with all the men that are at war and the soldiers marauding all over the place. They are under pressure to defend the homes and their towns, working as firefighters, guards, surgeons, and having to maintain the home in heart conditions, very difficult time. Huge debate, of course, over the specific numbers, but it's thought somewhere around 100,000 people probably died in England. What was that? that Which is about 3.7% of the population, which is not in substantial number. Scotland and Ireland are even more affected. Now, technically, a lot of that is events after Charles is killed and Cromwell, Mm. particularly in Ireland, of course. Yeah,
0: Cromwell and Ireland,
1: But, it's all events which have been started by Charles. He's put the pressure on these countries, and the impact on Britain overall is huge.
0: It is huge, hmm. and much like battliness. Yes, I can't see how I'm going to score him above zero. Well, I mean subjectivity. A civil <laughs> war.
1: Yes, a civil and war. And what
0: have we got against it? The fact that it was a nice bloke, which also his personality happened to lead to. Nice
1: civil bloke, war. sort of on an individual basis. Yeah, and he died well. Well, died well, and probably. Sic- in dying well, helped to secure the return of the monarchy. Mm. So he did sort of bring a sort of victory out of the flames. But as far as subjectivity
0: goes, that might not have been a good thing if Cromwell himself had been a nicer character and people had taken to
1: the Republican
0: um, state. I I mean, it's a civil war.
1: Some nice paintings.
0: (laughs) No, I'm going (laughs) big (laughs) fat zero.
1: I can't. I can't give him anything but. We haven't seen the likes of it. Well, I mean, you know, we had the the anarchy under Stephen. Yeah. Although, what did we give what Stephen? We gave him a five for subjectivity because he was a bit. You could be nice, but I think I think I'm, in this
0: age, mm. we're getting our we are starting to revise our baseline for subjectivity, <laughs> and the fact that he's not a medieval king mm. um, it means that you know the the. Yeah, the outlook has changed from then. Mm. And then he thought he wasn't a medieval king imposing those taxes and trying to be absolute... He does try
1: to be like he's a Tudor, in effect. Yeah.
0: Um, No,
1: no, big zero. I feel kind of sorry. I felt more sorry for Charles than I thought I would study in this, because it does... He's got a little bit of the air of Henry VI about him. Like, he's someone Mm. who didn't... The Walls of the Mm. Roses king, so he didn't entirely comfortable with being king, was more interested in nice sort of cultural things, and he sort of... You know, in another era, he might have been fine and quite nice. He just sort of he, things could have been nice. He doesn't want to be evil. He isn't really evil. No, he's just got a
0: his personality doesn't fit his job description. Yeah, and it goes badly wrong for him.
1: Well, I'm I'm going to give I'm going to give him a charitable two. Okay, a bit of the benefit of the doubt because there's some nice stuff in there. and He means well,
0: <laughs> even though in a lot of
1: ways he doesn't mean well. But nevertheless, I'm giving him a two. There's a total of two. Or subjectivity. Right. It's not scoring too well at the moment. No, it's not doing very really well at all.
0: Longevity.
1: He rolls from sixteen twenty five to sixteen forty nine. Not bad. So that's twenty three point eight years, which if I type that into our calculator gives us seven point five one for longevity. Right. Dynasty, not the program. Well, he does much better here. Six surviving children.
0: Wow, that's second
1: best. Three died young uh, during his lifetime, but a score of six... That is second best. ...gives him 10.02. So right. that's, um, it's not quite the best, but he's, um, he's level with William. Okay. Up, so he's in the top ten, so that's a good score for Dynasty. His total, however, is a mere 21.53. So... We now have to consider whether or not he has that uh, mark of greatness, Mm. that excellent achievement, that Mm. long-standing legacy, that star Uh quality, Mm. which we call... Rex Factor! Now, before you leave him, (laughs) let's go over the positives. In terms of his great legendary status, we've got the Martyr King. He secures that sort of sense of honour and mystique about the monarchy, which lingers this little flickering flame for Charles II to reignite. He dies well. On the other hand, <laughs> 30 years war fiascos, descent into civil war, abolition of the monarchy.
0: Now, they're interesting points. The fact that he died well, he's like... He's like... You know how we're saying John wasn't bad enough to make Rex Factor? Yes. This guy was so bad <laughs> that that last thing he did, he did well. And if he did had even done that badly, I'd he'd be... <laughs> I mean, you'd almost want to give him the Rex Factor as the worst possible king. <laughs> I was hopeless. Um, so the fact that he did things so badly it ended up with him being killed, but he died well.
1: Hmm. No, I mean <laughs>
0: the thing is that you're right. I do take your point that everyone knows
1: Charles first because he was killed. He's so a, he's he a like legendary king. Like he's status. probably more famous in a way than James.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, certainly. Yeah. Um, Andy doesn't have bonfire No. No.
1: Um,
0: oh, they, I. I and you can see, and the, and as you say, the subjectivity stuff. Everyone knows that picture of him on horseback. He looks great, mm. but you are right. He is. A, he would be much better as a figurehead king, and mm. he'd have done that jolly well. Yeah. But I just I can't give him a Rex Factor. I can give. I can. <laughs> if if it was, um, if we were doing different classes of king, or he was, <laughs> what could have been, he'd be right there. But no.
1: No, and it's a no for me as well. He can't win the Rex Factor. He. Ultimately the Rex Factor was imperiled. Yeah. As a result yeah of his reign. Absolutely. He can't win the Rex Factor to the big fat no. Apologies to Charles First, who did tweet, uh tweeted us Charles First and mm-hmm. was hopeful that he would be winning the Rex Factor tweet so, Um I, I hope although I try to be fairly sympathetic, but um it's it was never never really uh Really
0: yeah, well, I hope that Charles tweets us again, but I'm afraid I thought you were home plus.
1: <laughs> yes, it, it wasn't a hugely successful reign. So that is the end of Charles I, and it is the end of the monarchy. What will happen next? Will we return? I've had fun. I
0: think we should uh, It's
1: been good fun, but we're not done. No, I'm
0: uh, joking.
1: We're done um, until Christmas, so we we'll wish you a happy Christmas and a good new year. But in the new year, we will be back, and we will be doing Oliver Cromwell
0: it's nice with good bookends and it starts with another funny one starts
1: with a big funny one yes good <laughs> on, <laughs> well, good on laugh. laughing Oliver <laughs> you
0: loved a gag didn't <laughs> you pure <laughs> <Gerotelic of> Oliver <laughs> always we'll always up for a laugh so that's goodbye from me cheerio from me <coughs>